following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning. As we get into the Word, we're going to be winding down what's become a little bit of a series here. Uh, I want to uh, pursue finishing this up. We're going to see uh, a change of, of pace here over the next few weeks. I'm excited for that. I have the opportunity to share uh, with uh, Frank and uh, the congregation there in West Africa. Many of you know Apostle Frank Akins. He's been through here. Uh, there's opportunity to go be a part of a, a leadership summit there where a lot of the, the men and women that I have fellowship with throughout Africa are all going to be in one place. It's a really incredible time there. Uh, I know we're going to receive uh, here locally from Pastor Jared, uh, Darlene, uh, Thomas. There's going to be some great uh, opportunities to get into the Word and have a really good time here. I'm going to miss you guys. In fact, you might think this is a little nutty, but I'm going to be listening online because I just don't want to miss it, you know? <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm really jealous for what you're going to get here. Uh, I am looking forward to the things there, though. But as we uh, get into the Word this morning, I want to tie up loose ends here. I want to finish up what we began. We began uh, founding a, a series of teachings here uh, concerning what we need to know about God, and, and we found some great things here. I want to give you a few things that we're going to find in the Scripture as we uh, finish up today. Uh, one, we're going to find what we need to know in order to know God. Now, that sounds a little bit familiar because we've addressed that uh, the past few weeks. So what we need to know to know God. A second thing that we're going to find, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. What makes you desirable? Yeah, what makes you desirable? I mean, that's, that's an interesting thing, right? There's something, the scripture is very specific. There's something that can make any person desirable. And we're going to find out what that is. And what you're going to find out is there are a lot of stuff, there's a lot of stuff or a lot of things, excuse me, that we might think make us desirable, and they really don't matter. There's one thing, according to the Scripture, that makes us desirable. When I say desirable, I mean that in, in every sense of the word. I mean, have you ever just been around someone and thought, man, I like being around that person, right? Well, you're probably going to find that this one thing is something that this person has. So what makes you desirable? A uh, third thing that we're going to find is what Jesus asked God to do for you. What Jesus asked God to do for you. Jesus is praying the same way you and I pray, praying to God the Father, Jesus is praying, and he asked God to do something for you, and obviously God answered his prayer in a wonderful yes. So we're going to find out what that is. It's very important as we live out our lives as believers here. So let's just get started here. What we need to know in order to know God. Now, as we've gotten into this series, we've laid as a foundation a piece of history that's found in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 33 and also chapter 34. Now, we've kind of laid the, the base every week here, and we'll do it again uh, for those who maybe aren't familiar. But in Exodus chapter 33, we see something incredible take place. We see a, a question or a request being made, and it's a request that we all need to make. I mean, here's Moses. Now, we've already established this. We're going to do it again. Uh, we won't spend long doing this. But Moses is a man who has seen great things at the hand of God. I mean, he's heard the voice of God speak, and, and he's seen God deliver people out of bondage, and he himself has seen God touch his own life. He's witnessed the miraculous. He's seen all of these things. But to this point, he obviously feels that there's a void in his life. I mean, 
for you and for me, it would be going to church your whole life, going to, to wonderful uh, uh, revival meetings and seeing miracles and seeing all these things, but still thinking there's something missing in your life. I mean, going to those things and seeing those things doesn't do it for us. There's only one thing that will fill that void in our lives, and it's knowing God. Now, when Moses is talking to God, he says something. You'll find it in the scripture in Exodus 33, verse 13. Moses makes a request, and he's speaking to God, and he says, let me know your ways in order that I may know you. Let me know your ways in order that I may know you. Now, we've broken this down over the past few weeks, and we'll do it again. I mean, there's a big difference between knowing about God and actually knowing God. I mean, if you were to read a book about my life, it might not be that interesting, but you would know a little bit about me. But if you and I were to spend time together and we were to speak together and we were to, to enjoy fellowship together, then you wouldn't just know about me, but you would actually know me. And I would know you as well. So Moses is making a request known here. He's saying, hey, listen, I've seen what you're capable of. I know you exist. I know all of these things about you. But now I need to know what makes you tick. What drives you? What's at the foundation of who you are? Show me your ways. Teach me your ways so that I may know you. And God responds. He responds to this request by revealing to Moses that he's happy to do so. It says, And God said, I myself will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious unto the one I will be gracious, and I will show compassion to the one on whom I will show compassion. Now, this event that God promises to carry out takes place one chapter over in Exodus 34. Now, remember, we're just laying a foundation here. That's why we're moving so quickly through it. Exodus chapter 34, in verse 6, when God's making good on this promise to reveal to Moses his ways in order that Moses might know him, the Lord passes before Moses, and it reads like this, Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And God's revealing to Moses his ways. He's revealing to him the very core of his nature, the, the foundational things of who he is. He opens up with compassion. Now, we talked about compassion several weeks ago, that it means being aware of someone else's need and having an urgency or a desire to meet that need. At the core of, of his nature is graciousness. We talked about graciousness. That is, is the genuine desire to do good, to assist. Last week we talked about being slow to anger. That's at the very nature of who God is. He's slow to anger. We referred to the importance of that being a part of our lives as we're called to be godly and, and be uh, made in his image and after his likeness. Being slow to anger is a very com important component of that. And then now today we're going to, to wrap up. The Lord, the Lord your God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. At the very nature, at the very foundation of who God is, are these two things connected, loving kindness and truth. Now, you'll find loving kindness and truth connected together throughout the Scripture. It's not that they can't be separated, it's that they're rarely separated in the Scripture. As you read in the Psalms, loving kindness and truth are connected often. I want to give you a couple of examples and talk about the power of loving kindness and truth. As we desire, just like Moses, to, to know the ways of God so that we may know God, 
we're going to have to examine loving kindness and truth. I want to give you a psalm, Psalm 40, verse 11. Psalm 40, verse 11, it reads like this. You, O Lord, will not withhold compassion from me. Your loving kindness and truth will continually preserve me. And when we read that passage, we need to understand something. I mean, oftentimes we desire God to have compassion on us. Remember what that definition of compassion was. It was to know that you have a problem and desire to help you with that problem. Well, I know that I've got lots of problems, and I hope that God's aware of my problems, and I hope that he's interested in helping me with my problems. And when I read this, what I see is this cry, God, have compassion on me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. I mean, what would it mean to be preserved? You just let the wheels turn for a second, or else you can just move too fast through something and miss what's being said. To preserve something. I mean, if I'm going to be preserved by God, it means I'm going to last. I'm not going to fade away or pass away. What am I going to last longer than? The problem, the issue, the challenge. By God's goodness, by his loving kindness, and by his truth, he's preserving us, keeping us, will outlast all of the situations and circumstances that seek to destroy us and sweep us away. I want to give you another passage of scripture that reveals the power of loving kindness and truth. Proverbs 16, verse 6. By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. I mean, iniquity is a nasty business. God reveals to Moses when he's talking to him the things that he pardons or forgives. He talks about sin, transgression, and iniquity. Sin can be a mistake or an error. I mean, I can make a, a bad choice or a decision without understanding or knowing that I'm hurting you or afflicting you or that I am, am sinning against you. And when it's brought to my attention, I can, can quickly repent or apologize. I mean, it, it's, it's something that could happen without any knowledge of it. Now, transgression is different. Transgression means you know better and you do it anyway. I mean, if you want a, a word that we use today rather than transgression, you could substitute the word rebellion. It means, well, I know it's wrong, but damn the consequences, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, that's transgression. And then iniquity. Iniquity is when these things become a, a, a state of wickedness or a lifestyle. They're at the very heart or the drive or the foundation of a person's thoughts and actions. And God is, is changing us and transforming us at the level of our heart, which means he's going to be dealing with iniquities. And how is he going to be dealing with iniquities? Well, according to Proverbs through loving kindness. Your kindness and truth will atone for iniquity. God's loving kindness and His truth is going to wash away iniquity in our lives. I think it's important that we pursue God's loving kindness and truth in our lives and then allow His loving and kindness and truth to be poured out through our lives in order to bless those around us. Now, as we search out for the kindness, I want to talk about that, God's loving kindness. I mean, loving kindness is an interesting word to me. If you, you type it out in your, your, your software, whatever you use, it's probably going to have that little red squiggly line on the bottom that says, hey, you just misspelled something, right? Anybody use any software like that? You type and you say, mine just has red lines a lot, around a lot of stuff. It's like, hey, buddy, you need to get a dictionary out and learn how to read. But loving kindness is a word that, that is, is not even really recognized when we're typing it out because 
Is it loving? Is it kindness? What is it? And it's really easy to get caught up in the love because we know that God is love in these matters. But when you go to look up the word loving kindness, loving kindness is a translation that's used, but really what you're dealing with is kindness motivated by love. The word for love is an altogether another word. So when we're talking about God's loving kindness, though it'd be really easy for us to jump in and talk about God's love, what we really need to talk about is God's kindness. I want to talk about kindness for a moment. I personally think that kindness is under attack. I think that there is a war of attrition on kindness, that it's being eroded away in the lives of people. I don't think that people are getting kinder. I think they're getting ruder. I think they're getting more aggressive. I think they're just becoming nastier at all levels. But we need to see to it that that doesn't happen to us as believers. There needs to be a pursuit of kindness in our lives. That there needs to be a desire to become aware of this that's at the very foundation of who God is so that we can know who God is and so that we can be like Him as He's called us to be. Kindness. Now, kindness has a source. I mean, there's a couple of passages of Scripture that we're going to stand on for this. I mean, if I'm short on kindness, I need to go to the source. If there was a well where you knew you could get water and you ran out of water, where would you go? You'd go to the well. The place where the water comes from, the source. So let's look at the source of kindness here. You can write these down for your notes, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. What you'll find here in Galatians 5, in verses 22 and 23, are what are known as the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Now the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Did you hear kindness in there? Kindness, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit produces it, right? What would be the fruit of an apple tree? Apples, it's just that simple. Because that tree produces apples. The fruit of the Holy Spirit includes kindness. So as we're looking to see kindness increase in our life, there's a desire in us that needs to be to pursue the Holy Spirit, an urgency in us that needs to be present to pursue the Holy Spirit to be spirit-led in our words, to be spirit-led in our thoughts, to be spirit-led in our actions, so that kindness can be the result. And where there's an absence of kindness, you can be assured that there's an absence of being led by the Holy Spirit in that situation. I want to give you another passage of Scripture, Proverbs 14, verse 22. It reads like this, Now I want us to pay attention to this. Will they not go astray who devise evil? But kindness and truth, those two things attached together, but kindness and truth will be to those who devise good. Now we're going to think about that for a second, right? I mean, I hear that and and my brain is a little quirky, a little goofy, you know, and I know you've got your quirks too. But I hear the word devise and all I can think is, (laughs) doesn't it just sound devious, right? Like, I've never thought about, wow, you know, Ashley really needs uh, some, some, a date. Let's go out to eat. I need to devise a good time with my wife. So let's just sit down and devise something, you know. It just sounds schemy, right? But I want us to look at that and not be distracted by words like that and consider this. I mean, the word devise is, is just this about planning and plotting and thinking out. That's really all it means. 
take everything devious off of the way it sounds and just consider it for what it is. To, to put effort into planning, to put effort into thinking, to put effort into mapping out the details. You'll go astray if you put effort into doing evil. But what we see here is that kindness and truth will belong to those who devise good. If we can take the time to sit and map out and plan out ways to do God's will, ways to do good things, if we can become intentional about it. I mean, you don't devise something by accident, ever. I have lots of thoughts that are random. I can be driving and it's just like, hey, I've got an idea. I can be in the middle of, of mowing a yard or be in the middle of, of fixing a piece of equipment or be in the middle of watching a, a program on television and an idea just pop into my mind. That's not devising. The only way you devise something is when you, you sit, you ponder, you think, you outline, you map it out. And for us to obtain, for us to find this, this kindness and this truth that we so desperately need, we need to be those who will sit to devise good. Will we take the time to sit and think, how can we do good? What can I do to be a blessing? What can I do to map out my day today? What can I do to map out this week? What can I do to map out my life concerning my marriage, concerning my children? What can I do to map out uh, the, the ministry that you've called for me to do good in these things? Help me to sit, to think, to ponder, to devise, to do good. Kindness is a requirement in the Scripture. It's really not an option. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture. I mean, Micah 6, verse 8, it reads like this. God has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require? Will you say require? I mean, we can do better than that. What does the Lord require? Require. Yeah, I mean, that's a big word. I want us to catch it. Require. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before God? What an interesting series of requirements. To do what's right, to embrace kindness, and to remain humble in that process. That's a pretty short list to satisfy God, don't you think? I mean, we can create all the rules and regulations and, and we can define what a good Christian looks like by all of these things that really, I don't think God could, he couldn't care less about some of those things. When he offers up his requirements, you're looking at a pretty short list of things here. Do what is just. Love kindness. I mean, embrace it. Make it a part of a feature of your life and stay humble through that process. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 9, it reads like this. Thus says the Lord of hosts said, that's just a fancy way of saying God said this, dispense true justice and practice kindness and be compassionate each to his brother. That's our instruction. That's our call. To dispense true justice and to practice kindness and compassion. So I mentioned before we're going to find out what makes you desirable, right? I mean, there was a little interest in that. It piqued a few people's interest. So you've been hanging in there to this point. You're about to get your wish here and find out what is it that's going to make me desirable, right? Can I just get a... Yeah. What makes a person desirable? Proverbs 19, verse 22. 
Proverbs 19, verse 22. It reads like this. What is desirable in a man is his kindness. What is desirable in a man is his kindness. You know, it's, it's a simple statement, but yet there's volume spoken there. I mean, what if kindness is absent? It would make one undesirable. But what makes a person desirable is their kindness. Now, there's a reason for this, because kindness really does some incredible things. I mean, some powerful things. It's at the very nature, uh, the foundation of the nature of God. And we're called to be uh, made in His image and after His likeness and all of these things. Kindness has a, a powerful effect when it's embraced. It's not just that kindness makes someone desirable. It's what kindness can do that makes those who carry kindness desirable. So let's look at what kindness does. If you're taking notes, you can write this passage down. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It reads like this. And it starts off in midstream of a thought here, but we're not going to miss the point. It reads like this. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? which we should not think lightly of the riches of his kindness, his tolerance, his patience, not knowing that it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. Now that's really what I want to dwell on there. The kindness of God leads to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Now, in some church communities, in some faiths and religions, in, in some different circles of, of worldly, carnal, humanistic culture, it doesn't matter to me where it comes from. It's not true. A lot of people will think, well, it's the threats of God that will lead you to repentance. You better get that turned around, buddy, or else. But it's the kindness of God that He would lead us and guide us away from death and into life because He loves us, because He's kind. That he would take us from the things that are leading to bondage and destruction and lead us into the things that result in freedom. And we're going to see that in a moment. And life. Kindness. So what I see here is something really incredible. I'm realizing, wow, this is at the very foundation of the nature of God. His kindness. And here I am, made in his image, after his likeness, called to carry that same kindness. That when I'm engaging people who have wronged me or, or, or hurt me or, or lied or slandered or cheated or stolen or fill in the blank with whatever evil thing you want to fill it in with, it's not aggression or vindictive behavior that's going to result in vindication or atonement in that, but based on the scripture we read here, it's kindness. It's kindness that atones for iniquity. It's kindness that leads to repentance. Now I'm going to tip my hand here. And if I'm ever ministering to you in a private counseling session, you're going to now realize what I mean when I pray, Father, bless them with your kindness. That's really my way of saying, Father, lead them to repent. Father, bless me with your kindness, that I would be quick to repent. 
But rather than sit and lecture the person on where they went wrong, how they did it wrong, and how they need to get their act together, let me just impart this blessing to them. Father, bless them with your kindness. Let your kindness surround their every thought. Let it surround their being, that they would become aware of your presence and your kindness in new and incredible ways. Let their mind be touched and affected by your kindness. Let them in the depths of their heart come to know the riches of your kindness. Father, bless them with the full measure of your kindness. Let nothing be held back. Pour it out. Your kindness upon their lives. Because it leads to repentance. Repentance is not just an apology. Repentance is is to renounce a behavior or an action or an attitude and change. It's to make that 180 degree shift to stop going the way of destruction and start going the way of life and prosperity. What kindness does. I want to give you another passage of scripture now. This one's a little more lengthy, but you're going to see that kindness is at the very foundation of our being born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Kindness. The book of Titus, chapter 3, I want to read verses 3 through 6. If you're taking notes, Titus 3, 3 through 6. Now, I like this because it starts off with how things used to be, and and I can very much relate to that. I mean, if I were reading this in my Bible, I would probably take my pen out and underline uh, these first few words. We were once foolish ourselves. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we were once foolish ourselves. We were disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in anger and envy, hatefulness, hating one another. Now verse 4, are you ready for this? But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared. Did you hear that? When His kindness appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of our deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Now here's how his kindness does it. There's two things here. One, by the washing of regeneration. That's being born again. And renewing by the Holy Spirit. That's the second thing. Being filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Isn't that awesome? I want to encourage you to read those. It's just three scriptures, three passages of scripture. But in your own time to read it and read it just word for word, line for line, and let it speak to you the incredible depth that it's revealing to us this morning that all of these things, our new birth to be Christians, born again, to be the sons and the daughters of the Most High, our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life to celebrate life eternal with God forevermore in eternity. And to come to know the sealing of the Holy, Holy Ghost upon our life. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. To be empowered by the things of God. All of God's abilities being poured into our life to function and operate in the call that He's placed upon us. All of these things coming into our lives through kindness. The kindness of God. We were once foolish. But when the kindness of God appeared, we were born again and baptized in the Holy Ghost. Isn't that awesome? That makes me want to pray for kindness. Father, fill this church with your kindness. 
Because if it's your kindness that results in people being born again, if it's your kindness that results in people being baptized in the Holy Ghost, then let this church be wall-to-wall kindness. Let your kindness fill this place, permeate this place. Let it be felt as cars drive by on Buffalo Gap Road. Let your kindness beam out from this place and draw men into you to repent, to call upon your name, and to receive from you the full measure of new birth and baptism in your spirit. Let your kindness prevail. In Jesus' name. So we're looking at two things here. Remember, as God's revealing His ways so that we can know Him. He's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and then abounding in loving kindness and truth. I want to talk about truth for a moment. This loving kindness and truth are connected throughout the Scripture. I mean, that loving kindness draws us to repentance. And there's something incredible when we come to that place of repentance. When we come to that place of humility of heart to say, I'm destroying my life. I no longer want to do it my way. But Father, I take on myself your way. Let me do it your way. That's the change that we're looking for. In fact, when you see the word repent in the Scripture as it's being preached throughout the New Testament, you'll hear it connected with another word and a phrase, repent and return. It's not just an apology. It's I'm going to abandon these ways and I'm going to adopt these ways over here. I'm going to leave behind my ways of destruction and I'm going to embrace your instruction for life. When we come to that place of repentance through God's kindness, we now become open to the truth. Jesus says incredible things about truth. In fact, it's absolutely necessary for us to come to know the truth of Jesus Christ in order to live lives of freedom. I want to read a few passages of Scripture to you. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. It's verses 31 through 36. But I want to offer them to you slightly paraphrased. I want you to read them in your own time. I think that's important. But Jesus is talking about freedom and slavery. And He talks to people about what they need in order to not be slaves. Now this group of people, this group of people is a group of people just like us. In fact, in verse 31, it opens up with these words. And and let me just, I'm going to stop short of getting to the point, but I want you to catch these words. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. He was talking to believers It would be no different than if he were standing here talking to every Christian in this room. So he's talking to people just like you and me. And he talks to them about what they need in order to be free so that they won't be slaves. Now the people that heard this looked at him and said, well, we've never been slaves. What are you talking about? Maybe you need to go share this message with that group over there because I think they've had a rough past, but our lives are good. Well, Jesus had the right crowd. Just like he'd have the right crowd if he were standing right here delivering these words. Talking to those who had believed him. He's talking to believers. And he's talking to them about what they need in order to be free and to shake loose of slavery. And when he's confronted with this statement, when he's confronted with this question, how have we ever been in slavery? He says this. He says this beginning in verse 34, And Jesus answered them and said, Hey, truly, truly, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. 
every one of you. When sin enters into your life, it doesn't enter in casually. It's not your pet. You have no control over it whatsoever. It immediately takes control of you. The one who sins becomes a slave to it. It's in charge. You're not in charge. And the slave doesn't remain in the house forever. But a son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, referring to himself, you'll be free indeed. I love the word indeed. We don't use it very often, right? If you came up to me and said, hey, would you like to go eat lunch? I wouldn't say indeed, sir. But it's a good word, right? Indeed. I mean, think about it. Indeed. Indeed. We don't use it, but we ought to. Think It means like it's going to be revealed in my actions, in my deeds. So Jesus is saying something here, and it can't get lost in that, that language that we don't use. He's saying, if I set you free, I'm going to make you free indeed. It's going to show in your actions. It did in my life. <clears throat> the addictions, the, the bondage that I was in, I couldn't get rid of it to save my life, and I hated it. I would weep and cry and pour all my booze out, and the next thing you know, 24 hours later, I'm back at the liquor store going broke. I mean, I knew I was killing myself, and I hated every second of it. But then Jesus set me free, and I was free indeed. It showed in my actions. I wasn't a Christian on Sunday and a drunk the rest of the week. Indeed. If Jesus sets us free, it's going to show. So when Jesus is talking to this group of believers, he's revealing this freedom that's necessary for us. We've got to have it. He's talking to believers, and he says, if you'll continue in my word, and that's very important, If you'll continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now remember, we're looking at the very foundation of God's nature. Loving kindness and truth. That kindness leads us to repentance. And now that truth brings us to a place of freedom in our life, in our actions, in our words. We're no longer slaves to sin. When Jesus speaks to us as his sons and as his daughters, when he speaks to us as believers, these words ring out true for every one of us. If we'll continue in his word, we'll know the truth, and it's that truth that will lead us to freedom. The freedom that will be revealed in our deeds, in our actions, in our words, in our attitudes. It's important for us to live out that life of freedom. To avoid that sin and corruption that opens up the door for slavery every single time. I mean, I want to offer this to you, and I want to offer this to you as a thought. As we begin to to close here, I want to talk about sin for a moment. Where it comes from, its origins. And what it is that we buy into when we actually buy into sin. And I'm speaking the word sin just in general. Anything outside of the will of God. We need to come into an understanding of something. Jesus reveals something very clear to us in John chapter 8. If you're writing it down for your notes, it's John chapter 8, verse 44. He's talking about Satan. And as he's talking about Satan, he he reveals something that we need to be aware of. That Satan doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. There's no truth in him. In him, he goes on to make it clear what he's communicating here, and don't miss this. Whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie. Did you hear that? 
Whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie. That means every time Satan speaks, it's false. Every time he speaks, it's a lie. He goes on to finish this statement by saying he speaks from his own nature, for he's a liar and he's the father of lies. Now it's interesting to me that we see Satan identified as the father of lies and we see the Spirit of God identified as the Spirit of truth. Isn't that an amazing opposite? Satan is the father of lies. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of truth. You see it throughout the scripture. I want to offer this. If you go all the way back to Genesis, to Genesis chapter 3, and you see Satan's temptation of mankind, and you see the fall, you see all of these things, you can come into an understanding that Satan is a liar. In every one of his temptations, there's a lie attached to it. In fact, all sin is requiring us to believe a lie, to buy into a lie. But if we can know the truth, we can avoid all of those lies. Now here's an important thing as we begin to wind this down, and I want you to stay with me. It's had a massive impact on my life, and and I hope that it has the same on yours. I had to learn something. Remember John 8.44, Satan's the father of lies. And if you want a scriptural reference, you can take down John 16.13 concerning the Holy Spirit. John 16.13, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Satan is the father of lies. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. But throughout my life as a believer, as a Christian, I, I, I faced a struggle early on of trying to identify what was, was good and what was evil. What was God's will and what was the devil's plan for my life? What was God's plan for my life? And I would look at things and I would put them on the scales of of good and evil. And I had been taught that God was good and the devil was evil. And this is a problem for me. This is a problem for me because some of the greatest things God's ever done in my life didn't feel great when they were happening. They were painful. They, They stretched me. They put me in places where I was uncomfortable. And it would have been very easy for me to think, well, pain and discomfort surely isn't good, therefore it's not God. This must be the devil. And I could have easily found myself resisting God. Now, there's a passage of Scripture that I want us to embrace and take seriously here. You can write it down for your notes. It's out of Isaiah. You see it a couple of times from the mouth of the prophet, but Isaiah 5, verse 20, it says this, it says, Don't call good evil and evil good. Woe to those. That means it's it's bad news. It's it's not going to go well for those that call good evil and evil good. Now, I can take that at face value and realize that that means don't call evil things good and good things evil. Here's my problem. For much of my life, good and evil are very relative. Relative to what I think is good and what I think is evil. What I think is God and what I think is the devil. So here's the problem for me. If I'm living out my life willing to judge things on a scale of good and evil, I could easily find myself in that position of woe. Woe to those. It's bad news for those that call good evil and evil good. So I decided to to get rid of that scale. I think that's a dangerous scale to use. It's too easy for us to call good things evil and evil things good. So I say we just ditch the scale altogether and we adopt a new scale. A scale that measures truth versus lie. 
Woe to those that call good evil and evil good. But let's be a people who measure things by the truth versus lie. If the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, not the spirit of good, the spirit of truth, and Satan is the father of lies, not the father of bad, but the father of lies, then let's quit measuring things in good and bad and start measuring things in truth and lie. When we're looking at a situation, when we're reviewing a circumstance, we should measure it against the truth. That's God's word. He said so himself. It's established that that truth will lead us into freedom. Anything other than the truth will lead us into slavery. Anything other than the truth would be a lie. Satan's the father of lies, leading us into sin and corruption, bondage and captivity, slavery. But if we'll continue in the words of Jesus... Words that he would speak to believers. If you'll continue in my words, you'll be my disciples, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Not just free in thought and idea, but free in deed, in your actions. I want to offer this passage of Scripture as we close here. I mentioned we were going to find this third thing, what Jesus asked God to do for us. You'll find it in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Now, John chapter 17 needs to be on your to-read list regularly. It's known in, in the, 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 the Christian world as the high priestly prayer. Jesus, as our high priest, is offering this prayer. It's before he goes to the cross and he's praying, asking God to do things for you. Asking God to do things for me. Asking God to do things for our children and our grandchildren. He's asking God to do things for all people. And when you read it understanding he's praying this prayer for me, it's extremely powerful. Now, now Jesus asks God to do something specific in John chapter 17. He asks God to do something for you and for me. In John chapter 17, verse 17, he prays and he asks God for this. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. That was his prayer. Sanctify them in truth. Now the context of this prayer is he's aware that we're staying in this world. That we're not being raptured away or, or snatched away, but that we live surrounded by corruption, surrounded by lies, surrounded by temptation, surrounded by all that would desire to put us in bondage and slavery. He knows that we're in this world surrounded by those enemies that desire to destroy us. His solution, which is perfect and effective, is to ask God to do one thing. Don't take them out of the world. Leave them in the world, but sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. That way, all of that corruption, all of those lies, all of that temptation that wishes to put them into bondage can be set to flight, can be made of no effect, that they can live a sanctified life, sanctified by your truth. I mean, sanctified is a word that we need to define or else it just becomes kind of a churchy word. It has a literal translation of being set apart. Like if you were to have a, a favorite item, a, a, a favorite plate, maybe like a wedding china or a punch bowl or something and you didn't keep it with the other things, it's set apart. But, but that definition by itself doesn't really do it for me because it, it just means 
that I'm different than everyone else. I want to know why I'm different from everyone else. That when we walk through this world as believers, what makes us different from everyone else? That sanctification, that being set apart, is to be set apart for a purpose. To be set apart for a ministry. To be set apart for a priestly duty. To be set apart for holiness. That's what it means. At the very foundation of who God is, is kindness and truth. Kindness to draw men to repentance and truth to liberate them from all captivity. I want to trust God to do something great for us this morning. I want to believe God to do something powerful and effective. I want to see God do something that transcends our current state of believing and leads us into a new awareness, a new understanding of who God's called us to be as he's called us to be just like him. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. There's two places that I want to see God do a work. I want to see him do a work in our mind. And I want to see him do a work in our hearts. As we come into an awareness of, of who he is. By coming into an awareness of his ways. The motives that, that drive and motivate him to act. To do these great things on our behalf. I want to see God's loving kindness and his truth prevail in our lives. We desperately need it. But it's not meant or intended to stop there. It's meant to flow through our lives. His loving kindness and truth meant to be released through us to touch a world in desperate need of His presence. A world whose only hope is to repent and whose only freedom is going to be found in the sanctification of the Word of God. I want those things to become more to us than just a, a, a new increased level of academia, a new understanding or, or an increased knowledge. But I want to see something happen in every one of us. It doesn't matter, young or old. It doesn't matter our backgrounds. I think that if we can see God ignite in us kindness and truth, we can see every issue that plagues this region, every issue that plagues the world for that matter, ministered to in power. I want to trust God and believe God for that. And what greater group of people to see that happen through than the people in this room right here, right now. There's no stronger candidate. No stronger candidate than you. I want to pray this, and you're welcome to be in agreement or you can simply just be in a state of receiving. But I want to ask God to do something great with the word that we've received this morning in each one of us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your loving kindness revealed to us. Let there be no hindrance to your kindness being embraced in every aspect of our life. No pride or arrogance that would reject your extension of kindness. Let all repentance that you would call us to be embraced and received and celebrated to the fullest measure that we would lay down old ways 
of rebellion and destruction and wickedness. And that we would embrace the call to do things your way, following your instruction and your counsel that would lead to life and prosperity in every aspect of our living. Let us be those that would seek after your kindness as we would pray, as we would intercede, that we would come into an understanding of the power of your kindness and all that it produces and results in. As we would pray, as we would seek after you, let us hunger and long for your kindness in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Teach us to impart through blessing your kindness to all that we encounter. Let it be revealed in our words and our actions. Let words of intercession flow through our prayers that we would be releasers of your loving kindness that has the power to result in repentance, transformation, and change. And let your truth prevail in our hearts that we would see the words that our King would pray on our behalf. And in celebration of your response to those words, we would anticipate sanctification from truth a setting apart for the purpose of performing your will, doing things your way. Let that truth invade our mind and our heart in such a way that every lie would stand out as the falsehood that it is. That we wouldn't be bound to having to judge by good or evil, but that we would be released into measuring by truth and lie. And let your truth prevail in our thinking, in our understanding, And let it be revealed in our words and actions that every lie of our enemy would be exposed for the filth that it is. And that we could avoid the snares of sin and slavery. That we could truly walk out a life of freedom indeed. We bless your name and we give you thanks for your word. The power and the authority that you've revealed to us and poured out to us through your word and through your spirit. And we ask, Father, as we glorify the name of Jesus, be honored and be magnified as the work that you've paid the highest price to bring into our lives is embraced, celebrated, and released into the earth. Be exalted. We give you thanks and rejoice in you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.